Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm sitting down with Brent Watson, who's joining me from New York. Hi, Brent. How are you doing? Hey, Hattie. Thanks for having me. I mean, you started looking at Kotlin a long, long time ago, right? Before uh, before it was famous, no? Uh, yeah, it was pre-1.0, uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah, and uh, so, you know, you, you and I were speaking uh, earlier when we were arranging this, and, and some of the things that you were mentioning that... Um, you do are uh, one thing is that you were um, editor on the book from my colleagues uh, Svetlana and Dimitri on Kotlin in Action. So how did that come about? Yeah, so that was my first taste of Kotlin, uh, which is a very great intro to the language. Uh, um, so I do tech editing for uh, Manning Press. Um, I did tech editing on some of their Java material. Uh, so that came across their desk. They reached out um, to see if I was interested. At the time, there was very little, you know, Kotlin expertise in the industry. So they reached out to, you know, Java people. Um, so I put my hand up to uh, help tech edit that book. Um, and while I was tech editing, that was sort of when we also did the transition from work to move some of our code base from from uh, Java to Kotlin. And again, um, I think right when that book was published, or at least when it was in development, is when the uh, the 1.0 milestone came out as well. So you hadn't really shown any interest at all in Kotlin before that. Um, you know, as an Android developer, uh, it you know uh, was in my peripheral vision for a while. Um, you know, the famous uh, Jake Wharton doc that he put out. Uh, you know, I poked around with the language, but it was really the book that was the catalyst of oh, now I understand this language and I want to try and use it more. So that's when we, uh, that's when we took the jump at work. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I guess that one way to scale out Kotlin is to write a hot lot of books and get people to tech read. No, that, that, yeah, that's just not going to work. <laughs> yeah. And this was a previous work, if I'm not mistaken, right? So what, what were you doing there? Yeah, so this was uh, prior to where I am now. And uh, uh, Android developer on a you know, a medium to large sized uh, Android app, a um, couple hundred thousand lines of code, uh, all in Java originally. And um, yeah, I think by the time uh, I left there, we were at 80% Kotlin in, in our Android code base. So, you know, over the maybe year and a half or two years, um, you know, we got quite a bit of it converted and you know, it's the usual story. Um, everything new is in Kotlin. Started with unit tests. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, you say everything uh, the usual story, and it's funny because a couple of weeks ago I was on the road, and we we had a lot of questions coming. You know, when I was talking about Kotlin, people were saying like, well, "What strategy should we follow?" Uh, and I said, "Well." I think what the majority of people do, certainly what we do, is is what you just said, right? You know, convert as needed and new stuff in Kotlin. And they're like, oh, that, that's that's interesting. That I, I've not heard that before. I'm like, how many times do I have to actually cover this in a show or, you <laughs> yeah. know, other people have talks around it at conferences? And, and like, it, it just, it goes to show that it doesn't matter how much you talk about something or write about something that you think the whole world now knows it's just right. such a small fraction of people that know right it's it's as they say you know you you don't often you don't reach those 
people that don't go to conferences and don't go reading blogs and don't go, uh, you know, don't listen to podcasts and that. And and you just do wonder how exactly you're meant to reach those people. Yeah, you'll get to them all eventually. Eventually, yeah. yeah. So, and now you're working at uh, Vimeo, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and so are you starting the same process there? Uh, yeah, and it's funny you said, um, you know, talking about this sort of strategy of moving to Colin, because we actually uh, uh, adopted a slightly different strategy there, which I guess, you know, shows that, you know, maybe there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution, but, you know, um, whatever works for a team is what that team should do. Um, so there we took a, a somewhat different approach. We started with um, unit tests, which is, you know, uh, the usual first step. But then after that, um, my previous company, we had decided to convert a bunch of legacy utility code to Kotlin, thinking that if we wanted to revert back, this code hasn't changed in a while, and it would be easy to just do, a, you know, get checkout and pull the old version in. Um, uh, at Vimeo, uh, we were a little more hesitant about doing that because we figured if we change that code to Kotlin, then that would all have to be um, re-code reviewed, re-verified, uh, you know, the process around that. So there the development team felt more comfortable just doing all new feature development in Kotlin. So that's the strategy we've taken. And now we're at the point where we're starting to convert, you know, some of the legacy code that we're touching uh, over to Kotlin as well. So you say hesitant. I mean, given you came to the team and uh, what did you mention what your role was at the previous job? Was it tech lead or what, what was it? Yeah, I was the senior uh, developer uh, on, right. on that team. Um, okay, so so you come you come here with with your past experience with a success story of having converted to Kotlin. So why was there hesitance? I mean, especially was this recent? I mean, was this post IO? Um, as we say, the pre and post IO. It was post IO, and so I would say the hesitance to move to Kotlin was uh, was small. Um, definitely. Uh, I, so, uh, again, after tech editing the book, I have uh, a couple, you know, piles of the book here at home. So I brought them to work and handed them out. And, uh, you know, right away, everybody's, uh, you know, you read a little bit into the language and you realize the benefits of it. So, uh, you know, getting people to um, want to do Kotlin, um, not, you know, not too much of a problem there. I guess the hesitance was, like I said, um, taking legacy code that people knew was um, sort of battle tested and then converting that for quote unquote, you know, no, no reason. There's no reason to actually convert it. Um, so very little hesitance of moving to Kotlin, but it was um, again, just a different strategy that the, just how the team there move, wanted right? to take. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, was this code unit tested? Uh, some of this code had unit tests. Um, some of it did not. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, that also explains it, right? Because at the end of the day, it's much like refactoring. If you, if you don't have unit tests, you're less likely to go and absolutely. touch code that works. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And so now at, uh, at Vimeo, you're essentially basically the, the new code you said is you're writing in Kotlin and then gradually migrating some of the old stuff then, right? 
Yes. Um, uh, I just checked our stats yesterday, and we're now at uh, 15%, 1.5. Um, so, you know, we're getting there. It's creeping up. But um, there's a lot of legacy code. But thankfully, any new features that we write are in Kotlin. Like I said, if we open up a file and it makes sense to convert it, um, uh, we'll probably do that as well. So most of a lot of people talk about this, but like, what is the criteria of when it makes sense to convert a file? I mean, there there's a simple th things, right? Like, okay, I've got a POJO. Okay, that that definitely could be a data class. Yep. Um, or you know, some event handling that's uh, you know, it would be much nicer to do using lambdas. But like, do you have a set of criteria that you say, okay, well, this will actually benefit for me to move it to Kotlin versus I'm not, I'm just not going to touch this. Yeah. So in my opinion, um, everything should always be converted to Kotlin. <laughs> the language is okay, so well, much that's nicer. Easy then. Yeah. Um, but I think where the hesitance comes in sometimes is if I'm working on a big feature set and let's say I'm touching maybe 10, you know, uh, fairly large, fairly, um, uh, important pieces of code, if I convert those to Kotlin, then I suddenly want to make them Kotlin idiomatic, which means refactoring, which then leads to uh, someone getting a fairly large PR um, that they have to review. And, you know, oh, did you actually change any, um, any features of this code? And um, so at times it's easier if, if you're touching a Java file and you're just adding one line to just, you know, add that one line and, um, you know, go on with your day. And do you now, especially, I mean, the code that doesn't have unit tests, do you also take that opportunity to add unit tests to this code? or, uh, And if you do, do you do it before the conversion or after? Yes. So, yeah, so all new features are, uh, we have unit tests written for them. Again, those tests are always written in Kotlin, just like the code. And um, so, yeah, there's definitely a lot of um, unit tests being written and backfill for unit tests. Um, uh, within the team, uh, we don't really care if you sort of do the test-driven development or write your tests after. Um, you know, I usually lean more towards uh, sort of backfilling the tests, writing them after the feature is done. But you know, as long as they get done. Sorry, I was referring to the the code that you're converting, right? I mean, there mm -hmm. is some code that doesn't have unit tests. So, my my question was, when you convert this code to Kotlin. Do you accompany it with unit tests? Uh, and if you do, do you actually write those unit tests before doing the conversion so that when you actually do the conversion to Kotlin, you have something to fall back on in terms of the verification? Right. Um, so there's probably a little bigger story there in that we're also trying to switch to a more clean architecture within Vimeo. Um, so when we touch those pieces of code, we're not only sort of converting them to Kotlin, we're also converting them to like an MVP sort of system where we want to pull out presenter code. And then at that time, yeah, we try and get a fairly high percentage of um, code coverage on, you know, the presenter and the models within within the code base. Okay. And what unit testing framework are you using? Uh, we're just on JUnit right now. Um, we're actually looking at... Um, Maybe using some other ones, but I think for now we're sort of happy with JUnit. You know, it's very basic. It's easy to understand. Robust. Yeah. Which is four, right? Because five, yeah. from my understanding, still doesn't work on for Android, yeah? 
Yeah, yeah, we're on JUnit 4. Do you favor unit tests or or are you favoring more towards integration tests in general? Yeah, it depends on the feature that you're writing. If you like are testing maybe the analytics are going through correctly, then I th- you know that has to be an integration test. Um, I'd say most of our tests we write are at the unit testing level, but we definitely have some integration tests or some functional tests where it makes sense. And you continue to use, uh, you know, uh, patterns such as dependency injection and then IOC frameworks and stuff like that, yeah? Uh, our code base doesn't have a, an actual DI framework in it yet. Again, that's something else that needs to be done Moving in towards, our code. Yeah. But um, uh, we definitely do sort of do the, um, you know, basic constructor. Um, every th- so Kotlin makes this easy where, you know, you can have a c- constructor where things could be injected in, but you provide a default parameter um, uh, so that, you know, at runtime you have your default and then at test time you can pass in a mock. So all of our objects are sort of set up that way. So you said that the, the bigger story here is that you're trying to rewrite the application to clean it up a little bit and, and have a nicer architecture. Mm-hmm. So how, which one prompted what? I mean, was it, did you're going to rewrite this, so let's we might as well use Kotlin now, or was it well we're converting to Kotlin and we might as well go and clean this up as well? Uh, I'd say those initiatives happened fairly much, pretty much in parallel, um, but one did not spur the other. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is just the steady march forward in a large code base to try and you know always try and improve things so you don't end up with code rot. And of course, apart from your work at Vimeo, uh, you also do a bunch of stuff in the community, no? You've, you have a yeah. meetup that you started for Kotlin. Yeah, so uh, about maybe 18 months ago, I started the uh, New York City Kotlin meetup. Which was pre-IO. That was a pre-IO, yeah. Because, I mean, you had some impressive numbers there. So can you tell us, like, how, how it started, how many people you had, sure. how it grew? Because a lot of people actually talk to me about this. They're like, you know, I want to set up a user group or I want to uh, get more people to come to my meetups. How, how do I go about doing that? How do I encourage people to come? Yes. So how did you do it? Yeah. Um, and I'd sort of like to talk about two things here today, too. One is, you know, all about the meetup. And two is... Um, just because you know, a small you know, a small set of listeners are going to be wanting to start a meetup, but a lot of people go to meetups. So, sort of how to be, you know, a good meetup attendee, if you will. Um, you know, how you can give back to the community. Um, you know, being within the community. But yeah, we'll start. Uh, we'll talk about sort of how how the meetup kicked off, and like you said, the numbers. Um, so, when I launched the meetup. Um, uh, we were at maybe around 100, um, a mil- you know, a member base of about 100 people. And we got there fairly quickly. Um, and then maybe about six months in, uh, you know, Google announced official support for the language. Uh, so I looked at, you know, how the numbers grew after that announcement. And um, from when we started to before the announcement, we were at maybe 150 um, a couple months after the annou- uh, announcement from Google, uh, the meetup grew to uh, just over 300 people. And then uh, within that time from then to now, 
uh, we've just hit 550 members for our user group. Um, so it's a fairly large user group um, as far as Kotlin meetups worldwide. I think we're in the top, definitely in the top 10, probably in the top five for, for numbers. And how often do you have the meetings? Uh, it used to be once every two months we would meet. Uh, now, as interest continues to grow and grow, uh, we're now doing once every six weeks. Uh, probably next year we'll hopefully do monthly. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good because a lot of the times I see the the kind of like the meetup pages that you know they've got this page and they've got a lot of members, but then the meetups are reduced to maybe like once every three months or once every four months. So it's great to hear that not only do you have good numbers in terms of members, but you're also meeting quite frequently. And I have to ask because obviously, you know, the the IO is the same thing happened with user groups in terms of Kotlin, right? Before IO, I think we had maybe thirty five or forty or something like that. Mm -hmm. And right now, I've lost count. I think we're about one hundred and fifty or one hundred and sixty or around that. That's great. So, yeah. Uh, so, what is the what? What are the demographics? Are, are they? Is it mostly Android developers or mobile developers, or do you get a good mix of everything? So, um, yeah, so as far as uh, members go, I would say the lion's share of them are Android developers. That's where they come from. Uh, when we do our talks, um, for every, every time we meet, we have uh, two people present and uh, try and make sure that one of the talks is Android-focused and one of the talks is not Android-focused so that there is you know, something for everybody. And how do you get people to uh, engage in terms of... Because, I mean, you said, I want to touch up on how to be a good Meetup member, right? Right. Uh, but... Does that include also how you get people to come and uh, give talks at your at your meetups, or were you referring to some other aspect? Yeah. Um, so there's a you know there's a number of things uh, there about you know being part of uh, a meetup community. Um, uh, definitely, the hardest part of organizing a meetup is finding people to speak at your meetup. So. Uh, uh, you know, everybody wants to host a meetup because they want people to come see their space. They want to say that they're hiring. Uh, so that's easy. You know, they provide, you know, the food and drinks and, you know, they have a large audience come and, you know, you know, we, we give um, whoever's hosting a couple minutes up front just to say hello, tell them about the company. So finding a spot to host is, you know, fairly straightforward. Um, it's usually finding speakers. Um, and, you know, I think we're fortunate that, you know, in New York, again, there's a lot of people, there's a big member base, there's a fairly active Java and Kotlin community. And, um, uh, you know, there's, you know, there are people who are willing to speak. Um, uh, so, yeah, so that's one side of it. The other side, like you said, just being an active member in the group. Um, I like to sort of start our meetups by talking about how, you know, if you come to the meetup, and you listen to a couple great talks and you go back to work the next day and people ask how it was, uh, you'll probably say it was, you know, it was good. Hopefully you'll say it was a good meetup. But if you go to the meetups and you have a couple conversations with people that maybe you haven't met before, um, you know, gets outside of your comfort zone, uh, don't just stick with the people that maybe you came with uh, from work. 
then hopefully you'll go back to work the next day and you'll say, you know, it was a fantastic meetup. I got to talk to this person who worked at this place and this is what they're working on. And I think that's, uh, you know, just as much as having great content at the meeting, hopefully people can have, you know, these good interactions with people as well. Well, if not more, right? I mean, so one of the things about the meetups, which are great, because a lot of times when people say, how do I get into the speaker circuit or how can I be a better speaker? Mm-hmm. And, you know, myself and many people recommend, well, find a local user group, go give presentations and, uh, you know, be around people that you more or less know you're comfortable with and just go from there. And and that's a great way to, albeit selfish, because it's in your also in interest in a way to try and get into more public speaking. But it often ends up that now the shape of a meetup is essentially just everyone goes there and listens to someone else giving a talk, right? And so do you do anything specifically? I mean, you say you would love it if people go back to work and say, yeah, I I met new people, we engaged in offline conversations, which was great. Do you do actually do something to actively encourage this at the meetup in terms of the format? Yeah. Yeah. So first of all, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Meetups are a great way to just sort of get started uh, in speaking. At, and also, if you have, you know, some content that you're wanting to bring to a bigger conference, it's a good place to sort of test it. Right. You can bring bring it to a meetup, make, you know, and then fine tune it depending on audience engagement and stuff like that. As far as making sure, uh, you know, that people have these other experiences at the meetup, we do a couple things there. Um uh, first of all is, you know, our official start time is half an hour before the, um, this, the talks actually start. So, um, you know, people come, we have food, we have drinks, you can do a little bit of networking before the meetup happens. When I kick off the meetup, I try and give a similar spiel to what I just told you where, you know, you know, go and try and find the person who's, you know, standing in the corner trying, you know, pretending to look busy on his phone because, you know, nobody's talking to him, go talk to him, right? Um, so to have those sort of interactions, we try and encourage that. Uh, between the talks, uh, we have, you know, you know, 10 minute sort of intermission, where again, people can get up and talk to each other. And then after the meetup is over, um, I, we usually find a local uh, pub in the area that's a couple blocks from wherever we're host, wherever the meetup's being hosted, and we'll put up a map uh, on the big screen and, says, and just say, you know, if anybody wants to come out afterwards, you know, feel free to join us at this place. So, you know, there's definitely um, opportunities for people to engage with other with other developers as they come out. It kind of works, but at the same time, you wouldn't want to send this message of, you know, I'm sure you, clearly you don't send the message because it's kind of like an optional thing of, you know, that we don't need to be in a pub with drinks and stuff to be able to engage, right? It, because, you know, there are a lot of people that don't feel comfortable yeah. um, necessarily being in that environment. Uh, but I think that actively trying to encourage people to do this is, is important because I, I've been to many meetups, you know, both speaking and even when I used to run a user group myself, I fell into this bad habit of, inviting external speakers or inviting, you know, uh, encouraging local members of the group to give up and to stand up and give talks. And it would boil down to 
me getting up and saying, okay, well, today we've got so-and-so that's come to give a talk. And then everyone would just listen to that person and then go away. And, and the simple thing of saying, we're not here primarily for a talk. We're here to create a local community of of users that we can get to e know each other. Because I think that's still one of the most valuable things of meetups, especially in an in a environment where many people are starting to work or more people are starting to work remotely. I mean, I've been working remotely for 18 years and, you know, my my interaction with with other people is excluding family and friends, obviously, is either when I go to conferences or when I visit one of the one of the offices. Right. So the meetups is also about going and seeing other developers and people in your field or QA or whatever field you are and try and engage with them which I think is very valuable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I guess we try and, uh, you know, provide if somebody's coming out just to listen to talks and that's really all they want to do, you know, that's fine. If people are coming out and hoping to engage with the community, you know, uh, you know, we hope we have this platform where they're able to do that. Um, if people are coming out just to network, maybe look for a job, again, hopefully that's, Know, hopefully we have the groundwork where people can come out and get what they want to get out of a out of a meetup. And what are the topics like? I mean, we've already gone through the Kotlin is awesome, awesome for Android applications or or you know Kotlin is awesome for doing your spring app or whatever. Yep. What are the general topics that people are now not only presenting but kind of demand for? Yeah. Um yeah, that's a good question. So the one um sort of rule we have for a talk is that we don't want any intro label uh, language, uh, intro language level talks. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of people getting started with Kotlin and a lot of Java user groups will have, you know, here's a val, here's a var. Uh, so we stray away from those, uh, accepting those kind of talks. Um, but so a couple things. Uh, one, like I said, we try and do a server side or at least a non Android specific talk. We try and do an Android talk. Um, and uh, I guess one thing that is fairly difficult with uh, speaking at a meetup, unlike a conference where you have tracks where you can do a beginner level talk, you can do an intermediate, you can do an advanced talk, um, and the right audience will come out for that talk. Uh, at a meetup, you don't really have that luxury. You'll have people in the audience who are, you know, advanced Kotlin users. You'll have people who are coming out who are just starting to you know, show some interest in the language. Um, uh, so the talks range, you know, widely, um, you know, sometimes we'll have talks about the last couple we've had, we had some about testing, we've had some about AR, VR stuff. Um, the, uh, the upcoming meetup, we're talking about Kotlin uh, multi-platform. Uh, talking about uh, Android things using Kotlin. So there's definitely this wide range of, of uh, Kotlin information. Um, and again, it's, you know, like I said, finding speakers is usually the, the hard part. So if somebody has pretty much anything Kotlin in mind that they want to speak about that's somewhere above that intro to Kotlin level talk, you know, they're more than welcome to come out and, and do a presentation for us. That also includes working with 
existing frameworks working with the existing ecosystem around Kotlin, right? You don't necessarily have to be uh, specifically like, I need to, I've got a framework in Kotlin I want to go talk about, or I'm using a framework that is written in Kotlin I want to go talk about it. There's a lot of other interesting topics of like, you know, how do I use uh, JUnit in advanced scenarios with Kotlin, which requires like, I don't know, class rules or, or rules and things like that. Because, you know, much like the same as as, as this podcast, when I, when I first started, I'm like, right, okay, so we'll do the Val and the Var, the first episode, and well, Andre is going to be on the first, the second we'll do Var and Var, and then what do we do? Um, you know, it's, a, it, it's not just focusing on the language, I, I would say, but the whole community and ecosystem around the language as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the other thing uh, here that's nice at this point of time uh, for, you know, doing a Kotlin meetup or a Kotlin talk is that um, a lot of the technologies in Kotlin people haven't uh, had time to play with or had exposure to. So, you know, if you, you know, to take any Kotlin framework, um, so let's say KTOR, right? If you were to take a week and play with KTOR, you probably know more about KTOR than 95% of people in the room. So, you know, uh, you know, you take any one Kotlin uh, framework or topic, you do a small amount of research, and suddenly, you know, you have a talk that you can present to a group of people. I don't think that's true anymore, you know, in the Java landscape, right? You wouldn't uh, uh, necessarily be able to do a week's worth of uh, research on it, you know, on something that you haven't had exposure to in the past and be able to go and feel... Uh, like you could give a really good talk at, you know, a, a Java user group. But I think uh, Kotlin is still there where there's a lot of sort of low-hanging fruit for really good talks you can give. Yeah, and, and, and it's also important to remember that not every talk requires that you be an expert in the topic. Absolutely. You know, because it's because there's, there's various aspects of a talk. One is, okay, I'm an expert in this topic. I'm going to come and tell you everything there is to know about this topic. Then there's the other aspect of it. Well, I'm not an expert, but I'm going to come give you my experience of using X, Y, and Z over, you know, five years or, or putting X, Y, and Z into production and how, how, how I, what I learned from lessons learned, right? War, you know, war stories, as they say. And then there's a third one, which you mentioned, which is, you know what? I've learned this. And from a beginner's point of view, I have enough knowledge that I want to share this knowledge. And, and and especially with user groups and, and meetups, people should be open to this and people shouldn't be afraid of doing this because this is what it's about. It, it, no one is judging you. Like people shouldn't be judging you at a conference either, but there are those that do, right? And and that to a certain extent, conferences do set a, a bar of quality, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and especially because, you know, the majority of people are paying to go to a conference. So there, there are some expectations set. And I think that there needs to be a differentiation between something like a conference and meetups, right? It's Meetup is more around a, a friendly environment where I can go and share what I learned two weeks ago. It's absolutely fine. Yep. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I also wouldn't, uh, you know, shy people away from trying to speak at conferences either. Um, you know, hopefully just like code where, you know, if you look back at code that you've written uh, 10 years ago, hopefully you've realized you've come a long way. You know, doing talks is the same thing. Hopefully you can do a, a talk and feel that it's good. And in 10 years, hopefully 
you know, you've upped your game so much where you look back on something and maybe you'll shake your head a little bit thinking, oh man, I wish I had done something a little bit differently. Um, yeah, you do that, that, yeah that, although with the case of code, is it's not 10 years, it's more like 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> so any tips for people trying to create a new meetup? What they should do? Um, yeah, that's a good question, is, you know, getting started. Um, the one thing I would, uh, uh, I guess I have a couple tips. Uh, one may not necessarily be uh, one that you expect, but it's, um, uh, not sure the best way to phrase this, but when, so when I have an idea in my head, such as, hey, I want to start, uh, you know, the New York Kotlin user group, is I try and forget about doing it. <laughs> and uh, if it's something that keeps coming back to you, uh, so in this case, so something that I just couldn't get out of my head, then I knew that it was something that I was going to start, but then let fizzle out. So if you're going to do it, uh, you know, make sure it's not just this fleeting idea where, oh, this, you know, might be fun. Um, know that it's going to be work. It's going to be some extra uh, evening and weekends to put things together. It's going to be a couple of those situations where a speaker bails out last minute and you're scrambling to find things to do, right? And it's actually, it's going to be some work. So before you start, make sure that you... Sleep on it, essentially. Sleep on for it. For a make, couple of weeks. Make sure it's something right. that you know you really want to do. So uh, as soon as you get over that you know, step of, yes, this is something that I want to do, um, you know, it's fairly easy now um, with websites like meetup.com to just start something, right? And uh, so that's pretty much it. Find, you know, pull from maybe, you know, friends and colleagues and say, you know, I'm, I want to do this meetup. Uh, would you guys be willing to do a talk for me? You know, you, you, hopefully you have people, you know, in your immediate circle that um, are willing to sort of step up for you so that you have, you know, your baselines covered right away. Um, so step one is just, yeah, so getting some speakers, um, and then two would be finding a venue. Like I said, that's sometimes the easiest part is to reach out to companies and just say, hey, we want to do a, a, a meetup. Are you willing to host us? You provide some food and some beverages, and I would say that's probably the easiest thing to... What do they want in return? Uh, in return, like I said, it's usually just having the people come into their space, being able to see... Um, the environment and then uh, give that company a couple minutes upfront to talk about if they're hiring, um, what their company does, and just like a general, you know, general welcome. But, you know, usually that will come out of the recruitment budget for a company is to do these kind of events. Um, and then uh, I would say focus not on trying to get more and more members you know, members will come over time, but just focus on trying to have, you know, a very high quality uh, meetup group, right? Like try and get good quality talks, uh, right? Um, yeah, I wouldn't focus too much about numbers. It's nice that, you know, the meetup group that we have is at 550 people, but again, we're in New York, so we have a very, you know, a very, very large um, developer base we can pull from. That's not going to be every meetup group. If you have 10 people come out to your meetup group, uh, you know, those are the right 10 people to have been there. If you have uh, 100 people come out, then that's great too.
Yeah, and again, it goes back to this isn't just about having a large audience for you to speak at. It's about meeting people and and get, engaging with uh, you know discussions that that can help you in in many ways. And hopefully that that rotation does keep up, though, right? Because you don't want to end up in a situation where it's always the same five six people. Because uh, um, I mean, it's got its value, but you know. Yeah, I would say any user group that continues to have have meetings will inevitably grow. It sort of has to. And um, yeah, I would say some of the you know better meetups that I've been to are sometimes you know twenty people where you can actually go and talk to pretty much everybody. Um, when you go to meetups and there's you know two hundred people attending, um, it's a little harder to you know have again those conversations with people that you didn't show up to the meetup with. Well, that's great. Thanks for the tips. Thanks for sharing them. And uh, thank you for coming on the show. It's been uh, great chatting with you. And I, I, I do have to mention also, uh, if you allow me, that's uh, one other thing that at least we do from the JetBrain side. And, and I'm sure that other companies also sponsor meetups. Uh, from our side, we do uh, give out uh, licenses. We allow you to raffle licenses at your meetups. I don't know if you're doing it at yours, Brent, but if you're not, please ping me about it. Uh, so we, we raffle out licenses for uh, the all products pack. And that, in a way, we've we found the feedback we've got from there is that it, it does help also people kind of participate and it encourages people to come, et cetera. So. Yep. Um, yeah, the whole community team there um, at JetBrains is great. And, um, uh, you know, if you do start up a meetup, be sure to reach out because uh, I'm sure, uh, you know, you'll get uh, – you know, a box full of T-shirts and stickers and all that fun swag you can also give out. Great. Well, thank you once again for coming on the show. It's been uh, great chatting with you. Great. Thanks for having me, Howdy.